Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And this is a very special week. And it doesn't need an introduction because it is officially draft week. I know it's only Monday. We're at the beginning of the week. And I just cannot wait to Thursday. I feel like a kid during Christmas week. It's not even Christmas Eve yet. Talking about Wednesday, that seems like it would be Christmas Eve to me just because the draft is the next day. And I am so excited. You can hear it in my voice. And I just cannot wait for Thursday, Friday, and leading up to Saturday. We finally get to have so many questions answered. Will Kyler Murray go number one overall to the Arizona Cardinals? Where would Nick Bosa go? And do teams have faith in that core injury? Will Montez Sweat slip all the way down boards like a lot of people are saying? And will he even be drafted? During the first round, that is the discussion that has come up in the past few days. Who will be the first quarterback selected after Kyler Murray? That is another debate that is ongoing. Will it be Dwayne Haskins to the Cincinnati Bengals at 11, to the New York Giants at 6, or even the Miami Dolphins or the Washington Redskins at 13 or 15? Will the Drew Locke rumors surface or come true to the Denver Broncos at 10, or will somebody else decide to trade up for him and select the talented quarterback out of Mizzou? Now, as far as the things that we have scheduled on this podcast, I'm going to have a podcast after every single day of the draft. Yes, we're going to have a podcast on Friday, recapping day one of the draft on Saturday, recapping day two of the draft, and then on Sunday, recapping day three of the draft. We're going to have unlimited coverage, and I'm going to give my thoughts on every single thing that happened through all seven rounds of the draft. And we're also going to talk about some undrafted free agents and where they landed and who I thought had the best drafts overall. We're going to do a thumbs up, thumbs down segment after each round or after each day, I should say, recapping which teams had the best selections overall. And then at the end, we'll recap most of the draft classes. And at the end, I'm going to go division by division to talk about which teams in each division had the best draft. And I'm going to put a grade on every single draft class that's out there. So you're going to get unlimited coverage and in-depth perspectives about every single draft pick that did happen throughout this draft. And once again, I am so excited. But on today's show, we're going to talk about the offensive line. And I bought in Brandon Thorne from USA Football, who also is the host of the Trench Warfare podcast, because I need an outside perspective on offensive linemen. And this is an offensive line rich type of draft class. And there's some guys that I want to get another perspective on that I'm high on, but he might have a different angle of it. Andre Dillard, Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor. Those are some of the names that we got into into this discussion. And it is a really in-depth discussion. And I always appreciate Brandon's perspective because he is one of the more popular names out there talking about evaluating offensive linemen and just pay attention to the details that he was talking about in all of these breakdowns and just listen to all of the details he was talking about in his breakdowns. It is really fascinating stuff. Here's my in-depth discussion with Brandon Thorne about six of the top offensive linemen in this draft class, including Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, Garrett Bradbury, and finishing with Lamont Galliard. I want to welcome in a special guest, and his name is Brandon Thorne. He's a writer for USA Football. He's the host of the Trench Warfare podcast, and he, in my opinion, is one of the top offensive line evaluators, not only in the Twitter sphere, but in the business. Brandon, how's everything going? 
It's going really good, Jordan. Thanks for having me on, man. This is uh, this is fun. And I really appreciate you coming on. And, you know, with offensive line, it's it's just a position that really doesn't get the credit that it deserves. And Mike Tice put it the best way possible. And I'm sure you've heard the famous quote a million times that he said. And it's like the engine of a car. You rarely see it, but you need it. So offensive line is very important to me. But something that I always do with every guest on the show, I just want to open the floor up to you and just talk about your career journey and how you got to this point. Yeah, so it, you know, I mean, it's been a lifelong love affair with football my whole life. I've been kind of a diehard Broncos fan and I uh, was born in Denver, so kind of raised into that family and just really followed the game closely. You know, I grew up loving Madden and uh, played the game pretty religiously when I was growing up. And uh, that really allowed me to learn the rosters of most NFL teams and just got into team building at an early age and you know, fantasy drafts. And I mean, I, we played that game so much and that, that really was a, a building block for me to, to love the NFL and the players in it. And, um, you know, and a growing appreciation for all positions, but offensive line love for me grew in high school. I kind of started as a freshman at quarterback and then went into varsity as a sophomore and was one of the bigger kids. So they moved me to tight end and then to offensive line. And initially, I was not happy about it because, you know, I wanted to touch the football. So, um, but, you know, after about a year or so, I really grew to love the position and just what it took to be good at it. Um, not that I had a lot of that, but it really uh, opened my eyes to how difficult the position really is. So that really stuck with me. And then I, I joined the military, though, right out of high school. I did that for for a while, um, but I had an opportunity to get out and... I, I took it to solely focus on scouting because I wanted to be a part of football in some way. And when I did that, I met up with uh, Ted Sundquist, who was the former general manager of the Broncos at the time. Um, he he was an Air Force veteran as well, like me. So we had that connection. And he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot about the NFL and evaluation. And then I met Dan Hatman with the Scouting Academy, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and I, I realized when I joined social media on Twitter that, you know, this was like 2014 or so, I realized that there was a, a, an empty space on the platform for offensive line analysis. There just wasn't a lot of guys talking about it or shining light at the position. Not a lot of guys seemed to know who were the best, you know, aside from whoever's in the all, you know, whoever's all pro or pro bowl. Things like that. So I realized there was kind of a market inefficiency there that I could take advantage of if I really learned the position as best as I could. So, you know, I started reaching out to people and going to clinics. I uh, went to a Charles Bentley clinic, um, Duke Mannyweather. I went down last year to his offensive line masterminds thing and just was picking the brains of former coaches, players, just learning as much as I could to try to you know, advance my knowledge of the position as best as I could to provide good analysis on it. And it just has been growing. And thankfully, people have been really generous with their time. And I've been able to kind of establish a niche here with offensive line play. And it just, I'm so proud of that because I love the position. And if I could, if I can be part of the process to help people understand it, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And yeah, so I just, um, offensive line play, like you said, that's a great quote so underrated, overlooked, misunderstood. I love that it's kind of a team within the team. You know, it's five guys working together as one, and that's such an underrated part of it as well. 
well. I just, there's so much to like about it. And then all the nuance, how unnatural of a position it is because you're moving backwards against better athletes, um, you know, in pass protection at least. So, and then it's also very physical in, you know, on the other side of the ball or on the other side of things, you know, run blocking and stuff. So I, I like the the style of it and just there's so many things about it that are, that I think are awesome. So yeah, man, that's, that's really how it got started for me though. That's a really awesome story. And what happens a lot of time with guys that play offensive line, they didn't necessarily start there, but there's like a developed love. And it's really good to hear that really happened with you. And there's plenty of examples of guys that play other positions in high school, but they either gained weight or they just weren't athletic enough to play or hold up at other positions. And they transferred to or transitioned to offensive line. And it's a developed love. And you can right. tell that it's a position that you put a lot of pride and joy into as well. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. It's that's very true. There's a lot of guys that I've spoken to recently that were kind of in that same boat. But at the college level, like Joe Staley, mm-hmm. you know, moved from tight end. Um, even this year in the draft, Garrett Bradbury moved from um, tight end or uh, defensive line. You know, he played both. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's plenty of examples of that. But, yeah, it's that's a good point. It usually kind of goes that way for some guys. And I just want to stay on the subject. You talk about athleticism, and this is a really mm-hmm. unique class to me. And we're going to get into some of these guys later. But I just want to talk about the NFL in general. And I want to compare the offensive line talent versus the defensive line talent. And what I mean by that is, why is offensive line talent across the league so scarce? And why are these defensive linemen so much more athletic and outnumbering this offensive line talent throughout the league? Well, I think part of it is the fact that when guys we kind of touched on it but when guys are growing up in football you know i think statistics and being able to record your production and your progress and kind of have that that space for you as a player is really appealing so if you were given the choice if you're a bigger kid and you get to play the line defensive or offensive defensive you get to have sacks tackles forced fumbles fumble recoveries tackles for loss interceptions possibly etc so that's one thing i think is very appealing to younger kids because they get to have some stats you know so to speak as opposed to offensive line where you don't really have any i mean you know you inside the room you have pancakes maybe or you get a grade on your assignments but that's pretty unknown to the public so i think that's part of it it's just more of a, a sexy position in a lot of ways. Um, an, another thing is it's much more reliant on pure athleticism than offensive line, whereas I think offensive line is much more reliant on skill. So that is um, a, another piece of it as well. Guys get to just go out there, fly off the ball, be athletes, and just try to beat the guy across from them, whereas offensive line is totally different. So appealing to more of the athleticism piece being um you know having the statistics i think that just kind of works its way up through high school through college and once a guy gets established on defensive line it's it's hard to get him over to the other side you know once they have all that stuff in the background so i think that those couple things are really a big part of it and then maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree um, it's harder to teach offensive line. I think not that defensive line can't be very, um, you know, they can't be highly reliant on technique as well, but I think it's just more rare. So I think for offensive line, it's, it's a little bit more rare to have a really good coach who can teach it because it's so much of it is, is, is learned, um, as opposed to defensive line. So I think those are just a few reasons. 
Yeah, and you listed some really good points. And the next thing that I want to talk about, though, it's a common theme throughout the NFL as well that is that they're just switching guys' positions, whether that's going from an interior position to offensive tackle or whether that's going from center to guard or vice versa. And a lot of misconceptions about that is that a lot of fans think it's so easy, but whether it's pass protection or run blocking being on a certain side, a lot of it is muscle memory. And depending on the directions that you're going or certain play calls, it's really different going vertical or just right or left. So what's the best comparison that you can make or to put it in lamest terms for guys that are switching positions and why is it so difficult? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of good um, comparisons. I've, had it been told to me by somebody like Teron Armstead said, it's like, you know, if you're a right-handed batter, you know, go try and hit left-handed. Um, if you want to switch uh, sides, at least. Um, Josh Sitton, uh, the offseason before this one, he had a pretty, you know, big quote in the media where he said, it's like trying to wipe with the other hand, <laughs> which, uh, you know, just anything that you can think of where you're switching hands, it's going to make it awkward for you. That's kind of what it's like when you're switching sides, which kind of leads me to say that I think switching sides is more difficult than switching from, say, left tackle to left guard or right tackle, right guard, because at least you're still on the same side. Your hand is in is um, your stance is basically the same as far as, you know, you're either going to be in a left handed stance or a right handed stance. When you switch sides, you, you have to switch the side of your body that is the predominant engine that drives you off of the snap. The, your drive foot changes to the other side, your set foot changes to the other side, and then every ensuing movement after that is different. So it really uh, throws your body for a loop, and it takes time um, for that to happen, um, for you to adjust and acclimate to that, for your muscle mem- memory to be developed from a different side and just using different sides of your body predominantly. So yeah, I think um, going, you know, from left tackle to left guard is, is difficult still because it's different in, in, in a lot of different ways. But the side part is is usually the, the more difficult position switch that I think people don't think about enough. Yeah, and it's really hard if you don't really understand the game or play the position before to really put it in those types of terms. And mm-hmm. muscle memory was the best way to put it. But now that you say that, it makes a lot more sense. And hopefully that breakdown helps. Some fans try to decipher things a little bit better just because, like you said earlier, a lot of people just think it's Madden to where you can just switch a player's <laughs> settings at the top of their right, profile right. and their rating yep. goes up or down, and it's just not that easy. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Madden does a disservice in some ways, but, Absolutely. you know, <laughs> and that's one of them. So I actually want to get into some of the guys in this year's draft, and it is officially draft week, and I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts. You've done a fantastic job. And I highly encourage of some of the scouting reports that you've been posted. Make sure you go read that on his Twitter page. Um, just give the people your Twitter page where you can where they can find you at. Yeah, it's at Brandon Thorne NFL. OK, so just make sure to go check that out. And some guys we're going to highlight six guys here today. Uh, so the first one is Jonah Williams. And I'm a huge fan of him. And there's been a lot of discussions about him. But the best way I can put it is that he's the model of consistency. And I'm of the belief that he can play all five positions along the offensive line, but I would try him at left tackle first. And I know there's there's some discrepancy and some confusion about his arm length and various opinions about that and how he struggles against length. But just what are your overall what is your overall overview of Jonah Williams? Yeah, so Jonah Williams to me, man, I think is the best offensive lineman in the draft 
part of it is because of what you said, Mr. Consistency. That goes a long way with offensive line play. A guy who just gets his opponent blocked by and large. And, I mean, when you're talking about the fact that he did it against elite competition in the SEC for the last few years, he did it from the left side and the right side. He has 44 career starts. Um, I think those things are very important when you're talking about offensive line play and they get often overlooked. Um, I think he's just incredibly polished. He's the most well-rounded offensive lineman, in my opinion, um, in terms of pass and run blocking. I think his football intelligence is through the roof. Um, His technique is as good as you're going to see from a college offensive lineman. Um, Use of leverage is very, very good, and he plays the game fast. He he executes his assignments with really good play speed. Um, I think he's scheme versatile. I I think it doesn't matter what system you put him in. I think he'll have equal effectiveness. Um, And then, like you said, I agree as well. He, He could play probably all five positions on the line that's invaluable but much like Isaiah Wynn last year you know do you play him a left tackle do you move him inside I, I mean I think really you should let him prove that he can't play left left tackle first and then you move him inside it's much easier to do that I think than put him inside and eventually move him outside so I would just work outside in with him and uh, either way I think you're going to have a very very good player with a, a extremely high floor and still enough upside to be a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type guy, I think. So, I mean, you know, when you when you consider all that, I just uh, it's hard for me not to put a guy like that number one because you want a high floor prospect all the time. You don't want a boomer bust guy. He's not that, and he still has, I think, enough upside to be you know an outstanding player. So, that's kind of a general overview um, of the guy and. You know, if you want to go into more a little bit more detail, we can. But that's kind of just my my general view of Jonah Williams. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a huge fan of him. But something I did want to ask you, and I think it's something that a lot of people aren't really thinking about. And mm-hmm. some people are saying he can play guard or center, but he's never played it before. So how yeah. do you actually handle that if he does prove that he can't play left or right tackle? Yeah, that that's interesting because it's not a given that he's you know going to be able to transition smoothly. So, um, left tackle is definitely the position I evaluated him at and think he should play as a rookie and just for his career. But, um, you know, I think you probably would try right tackle next. Not that, you know, if he can't play left tackle for whatever reason, it's not like it's going to be much easier on the right side as we know um, in the NFL today. You know, pretty much the best pass rushers in the league, Demarcus Lawrence, Von Miller, Bosa. There's so many guys that rush over that right tackle. So um, not that it's going to be easier over there for him by any means, but just going off of what he is most comfortable with, the fact that he, as a true freshman, started every game at right tackle, I'd probably go there. And if not there, it's just up to him what side he's more comfortable on, which I probably would guess is the left because I think he played that in high school as well. So then you go left guard. And um, I think those would probably be the first three positions that I would try him out. I'm right there with you. And it's going to be really interesting to see if he does slip, how far he does slip in the draft. And there's probably going to be things that come out about him, whether that's questionable arm length or just not knowing exactly where to play him. There's always going to be something that comes up. We saw it with Connor Williams last year when he did slip. So 
it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he it does end up being drafted here in the coming days. But the next guy that I want to get to is Jawan Taylor. And you did a really good job on his breakdown. And I had a lot of interesting things that I did want to ask you about him because something that I noted about him is that I think he's a tone setter, a guy that has just a nasty attitude. He plays from a lot of different platforms. And what I mean by that is his stance, he plays primarily out of a two-point stance. And I think it's something that he's probably going to have to develop further as far as playing from a three-point stance. And his bend issues is something that I kind of had an issue with. And I think it's something that he really did struggle with in 2017 when he was on the left side. And that's probably why they moved him over to the right side. And he has some weight issues too, but it was really good to see that he did trim some of the fat off of that. But it's going to be interesting to see exactly where they play him, whether that's on the left side or the right side, whichever team that does draft him. So just what's your overall assessment about Jawan Taylor? Yeah, so really interesting profile just when you, you know, when you, when you evaluate him and you put all the things together. It's just starting from the top. Some of the things that I look at aside, you know, kind of off the field stuff, um, you know, game started. I love that the fact that he has 35 SEC starts. That's very good. Um, although 2018, I think he was a different player. You know, um, you watch 2017. He played, I believe he had 11 starts, nine at right tackle, two at left tackle. I watched one of those against FSU and Brian Burns. I thought he really struggled in that game in 2017. Um, his stance is much different um, from from at least that game to 2018. I thought it was much more functional, much more balanced. I really like what his coaches and what he did, um, you know, from the 17 to 18 season. So I thought that he kind of quelled a lot of those concerns to me, at least. I thought his I really did kind of appreciate his stance in 2018, which is really important. Um, and then in terms of just physically. Just what he is, uh, you know, six five, three twelve, thirty five and one eighth arms. So kind of the prototypical right tackle um, physically, and I think he has a natural feel for right tackle. That's why I think he's strictly a right tackle, um, maybe potentially a guard. Um, but I, I just kind of evaluated him as a right tackle, and I agree he has a presence about him that is undeniable. Uh, he's you know that that frame that length. He elite play strength and power, in my opinion. I thought he plays with good pad level from what I saw, but his hands were, to me, the most concerning aspect of his game. Um, I thought his placement is too wide. He tends to to wrap and grab a little too much. I don't think it really mattered as much in terms of the result in 2018 because he usually was just bigger and stronger than guys and he can get away with it. But when you're thinking about NFL players and when I think about the best tackles and how they win, their hand placement has to be better than that. And even if it isn't initially great, if he can just get better at reworking his hands inside quicker, I think that could even, um, you know, take care of some of those concerns. So either really improving that initial placement or, getting better at re-leveraging his hands inside. I think that would really, I think that's the key for him to really reach his ceiling. Um, so that that was kind of the, the concerning part for me um, in terms of his game, but athletically as well. I didn't even mention that, but I think he's a really good athlete as well in yeah. terms of how he moves out of his stance. He's really explosive. Yep. Um, yeah, his pass set looks good uh, just in general. Uh, really good anchor as well. Another little thing is, um, and this is with most college prospects, is really getting to that proper landmark or set point against various pass rushing alignments. 
I thought that he tended to overset a little bit and kind of get ahead of himself, especially when you watch him against Josh Allen. Um, that was a game where I thought he overset him on the edge. And then, of course, that hand usage issue crept up because he would just try to, when Allen would counter inside, he would try to grab him with that inside arm as opposed to power step and actually block him with his feet. He tried to block him with his hands a little bit. And you saw it against Georgia as well. So that, you know, is concerning. But um, he's going to need to, I think, ideally go to a place with a coach with a track record of success in developing guys. Um, you know, in general, I, I mean that, but I could say that about most guys as well. So that, that's not really a big knock on him. Cause I think everyone we're going to talk to talk about after this is kind of the same deal. You want to see him go to an offensive line coach who can really develop guys to kind of fix these, you know, somewhat minor concerns. But so that, that's kind of what concerns me about him, but instant starter either way, I think he's going to be. Uh, a really good player. His ceiling, in my opinion, might be the highest in the draft in terms of tackles if he can really fix those hands. So, yeah, man, he's he's a guy I, I really liked on tape. Um, and, yeah, he's he, he you know came in as my number two tackle, so I, I really do like him. Really interesting, pro- a really interesting prospect. And another guy that's fit is going to be huge for him, as you alluded to, just getting with a guy, a demanding position coach that has yeah. a proven track record of developing talent, as you alluded to earlier. But the next guy I want to get to is Cody Ford, offensive tackle from Oklahoma, a guy that I like a lot. Once again, another guy that is a bit of a tone setter, has that attitude and nastiness factor to the table, has some guard experience uh, before he did ultimately suffer an injury a couple years ago transitioned over to the right side playing that right tackle spot and I just love the way that they used him and they incorporated some zone schemes and some man blocking stuff and something that Oklahoma does a really good job of is they are really creative with their offensive tackles and they run some dart and they pull their offensive tackles a lot it's something that they require of them and I thought this I think he's a better athlete than what he's given credit for so just what's your overall overview of Cody Ford yeah totally agree on the athletic part I thought he was a definitely a good athlete on film um but yeah i actually probably enjoyed cody ford's film more than anybody else and it's because i think he's the best finisher in the draft his competitive toughness is elite i mean just the way he plays the game i mean you mentioned it and it's pretty easy to see you know he's he's a bully on the field and uh he really wants to impose his will on every single person that comes into contact with him and i love his i love his demeanor on the field man i mean he he does this thing where you know he'll bury a guy get you know get him out leveraged and put him on the ground and he he kind of runs back to the huddle and gets set before the guy even gets off the ground a lot of the time i mean for you know when you're watching offensive linemen you love to see a tone setter like that and i don't think there's a better one in the draft so that's that's a huge selling point with him but you know and then you look at his size i mean it's his frame and his build is is unique i think because the way how thick he is and how well he carries that amount of weight. I mean, he's 6'4", 330. That's a throwback type of guy, man, that you want. And uh, I, I like him more at guard than I do tackle. Um, but, yeah, elite upper body strength, man. His hands are kind of like cinder blocks. I mean, the way he put, the way he throws them at people, it, it can really stop guys in their tracks. So for the ground game, you know, I think of a, you know, a predominant gap power type of scheme with zone principles mixed in. Um, that that would be his ideal fit. I think he's an instant impact guy in the ground game. And then, 
I mean, his athletic ability is really underrated. I thought I thought he had really good explosiveness out of his stance. He's smooth in his pass set. Um, the things that were concerning to me is the fact that he only has 21 starts for offensive linemen. I think I think uh, experience and starts are really important. So you you like to see over 30, you know, 30, 35 plus. Um, that's ideal. So he's not ideal in that regard. It's not too bad, but. 21 starts is, you know, below average, I think. So that's part of it. Um, his level of competition, as opposed to our previous two guys we talked about, is much different. Uh, I, I'd call it average to a below, below average pass rushers that he saw over at least 2018 at right table. So that's a little bit concerning as well because the competition level is going to jump more for him than the other two, um, especially at tackle. So that's those are some reasons why I kind of like him more at guard. Um, but I think he can play right tackle. I just think he's going to need a little bit more help initially to ease that transition. So if teams want to play him at right tackle, I totally understand that. But I just think both short-term and long-term guard would probably be a better position for him, especially because what you alluded to, the fact that he pulls a lot. And um, not that he can't pull a tackle, but obviously it's more common at guard. And I think he's a really good puller, man. I mean, on their guard tackle counters that they run, um, I thought he, sh- you know, he for for everything that we talked about his about his physicality, he's he's not really out of control when he pulls. I, I like the temperance that he shows, and um, prior to contact, so I, I think he has good control of himself in space. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of these reasons, I just, it kept coming up to me like, yeah, you know, this guy was originally a guard at Oklahoma. He played, he had seven starts at left guard. And, um, yeah, I think now that he played on the right this year, he probably is a guy you can play at left or right guard. He's probably, I would assume comfortable on both sides. So that's another positive as well. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I think this guy's a first-round pick. I, I kind of give him a late first-round pick just because I think the, the transition might be a little bit more for him than the other guys. Um, but it, it is important to say as well, I think he's extremely well-coached. So that kind of eased my concern a little bit as well and kept him in round one. But I love the player. His film was a blast to watch, and I think he's you know an immediate starter inside. I'm right there with you, 100% agree on everything that you just said. I'm in love with him. I'm a huge fan. I just love guys, offensive linemen, that have that nasty attitude and just have yeah. a presence about themselves. And that's what Cody Ford brings to the table, just because you can get some guys that can stay in front of guys and block them up really good, but it's just extra and something that I love to me when a guy can just be nasty and get in that other guy's face. It's showing that he loves what he does. Yes. Yeah, definitely that. I mean, you need a guy or two like that on the offensive line, I think. I mean, it's okay to have, you, you know, and and being a finisher also, I think that's, this is, I don't want to go too deep into this rabbit hole, but when I think of a really good finisher, it doesn't even necessarily mean you have to be burying guys. It's just you're blocking your guy through the whistle every time. And it even if that just means staying in front of him, not only is he, is he a really good finisher, but then he brings that additional nasty to where, he can get guys leaning outside of their frame, and as soon as they do that, they're going to the ground. So, I just think you know over the course over the course of four quarters, that wears on people because you know we're evaluating human beings here, and no person likes to be put in the ground over and over and over again. So, I think you know some guys have a higher tolerance to that than others, but still, 
I think generally over the course of a season, when you see, when you're watching the film on your upcoming opponent, you know you kind of have to take it to another level when you're going against a guy like Cody Ford. Before we move on with our discussion to Andre Dillard, Garrett Bradbury, and Lamont Galliard, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause that. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Again, that's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. All right, the next guy on our discussion he has seen his stock go through the roof since the Senior Bowl, and I got a chance to go down there and view him, and it was really interesting to see how much he, how much better he got throughout the week, and it really was his first exposure to NFL coaching, and that is Andre Dillard, a guy that I'm a huge fan of. He's been manning that left tackle spot in Mike Leach's offense his entire career, and I think as far as a pass protection standpoint, I think he's by far the most polished guy of the group. But lack of run game experience is something that seems to be worrisome about him. And it's not just consistent or big media evaluators that has this problem with him. It's something that's going on through draft Twitter and why a lot of people really aren't putting him high. But I graded him as a top 15 prospect. And something that I love about him is that you can teach a guy to run block. But as far as pass protection, it's an area that's harder to coach. And he already has that polish about him. So what are your thoughts on Andre Dillard? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I'm pretty high on him, but you know, not as high as you are on him. And uh, you know, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, man, when you first, when you know, I think you got to start with the fact that he's an elite athlete on the field. Uh, his initial explosiveness out of his stance is pretty special, and his play speed is really good. And just in terms of executing all of his assignments that he's asked to do, um, but you know, I, I think. You know, I'll just I'll keep going on the positive first. After those things that I just mentioned, I think his hand usage was really impressive to me. Um, I've I've seen some guys that I respect say that they don't like his hands and think they're underdeveloped, but man, I don't know. I thought he had a variety of of hand techniques to 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 win against pass rushers. You saw it if you watched his tape in in successive order, basically like from beginning to end, like I did. And you really saw each week he was doing different things to throw off his opponents with his hands, which is a sign of a guy who was really working on his craft. And I really appreciated that. The fact that he can keep his hips square to the line of scrimmage as, as, as often as he does showed me outstanding discipline and confidence within himself. So I really, really like those two things about him in pass protection. He had a bunch of different ways to win outside strikes. He had that baiting thing where he throws it outside hand real quick, brings it back to throw off the timing of the rusher. Two-hand strikes. He had a really good snatch and trap. So that that type of stuff, I think, is really going to help him at the next level. I think he's scheme-dependent, though. So that kind of dropped his value in my mind. He's not a guy where you can just plug into any scheme. So I think that that's going to limit him. I think he's 
you want him in his in a zone based scheme for sure, at least you know within that first contract or the first year or two. So that kind of dropped it a little bit. Um, but yeah, the things that he was asked to do in the run game, he did well. You know, he's he's a very good space blocker, screens, pulls, getting to the second level, all that stuff is really good. Um, but you know, and, and another positive, 39 starts. Really like to see that in the offensive line. But his, you know, the, the the things that dropped him to me to a late first, early second, is the fact that you know his, his level of competition is probably the worst of these guys we're talking about. He didn't really face many NFL starters in his career. Uh, maybe a couple here and there. That's going to be a big adjustment for him, I think, to see the caliber of athlete that he's going to see, and not only athlete, but technicians off the edge who are going to be able to throw much more um, advanced uh, pass rush moves at him and have pass rush plans. So you know, it's going to be a, a fun thing to watch him use his hand techniques and the things that he does well versus much better competition. That's going to be really fun. And but another negative thing to me is just Washington Washington State's scheme doesn't do offensive linemen any favors in terms of the transition to the pro game. You look at their splits, they specifically widen the splits of offensive linemen. Mike Leach has said this to spread out the defensive line and to lengthen their path to the quarterback, especially for tackles. So oftentimes when you see him on tape, he's not seeing a lot of wide nine techniques, a lot of guys that are coming far off his edge. So that reduces stress for him reduces pressure for him he's getting a a lot of five techniques a lot of guys there's no tight ends really at least inline tight ends so oftentimes you know in the nfl when there's a tight end over next to you close to you the pass rusher a lot of the times is outside that tight end for him he didn't really have that so oftentimes the pass rusher was right on that outside shoulder that makes it easier you can get your hands on guys much quicker um, you have to deal with, you know, less space. So that's going to be an adjustment, I think. Um, saw a lot of three-man fronts because of that. So naturally the defensive ends are closer in. So those things to me just factored into my evaluation and knocked him down a little bit. But I really liked his tape and what, you know, I mean, you have to evaluate what he was asked to do, but you also have to make some projections as well. I think more with him than the other guys. So I tried to find that balance with him, but I really like him, man, and his potential is, I mean, his tre- he has tremendous upside for sure. So, you know, it's just I get guys who value him, you know, very highly and then a little bit less, but I tried to find that happy medium, and I think I'd be most comfortable with him somewhere like between 25 and 40 in the draft, but uh, I, I think that's probably not going to happen. Um, teams are desperate for, for competent tackle play, so I'd imagine he's going to go really high, but yeah, a guy I'm rooting for for sure, and you know, just a, a really special athlete at the position. Another guy that's fit is going to be huge for him, and there's a lot of teams that yeah. have that dire need at either tackle spot. At either tackle spot, but I think he's probably a left tackle just because he's seen the most action there, and that's really the only position he's played. And he's not an interior guy just because he doesn't have the body mass and the muscle strength in order to hold up in there. So. It's going to be another guy that's interesting to see exactly where he does land. But the next guy I want to get to, another one that I think is a terrific fit in a zone scheme, and that's Garrett Bradbury. And I really enjoyed his film just because I love guys that are just the engine and the heart and soul of the offensive line. And I just love his story, how he transitioned from being a tight end and defensive lineman over to the offensive side of the ball and ended up winning winning the Remington Award. And something that I also love about his game is that 
no matter the alignment of the first defensive tackle over his shoulder, whether that was a shade one technique or a three technique, he was able to reach block them. And he is the outside zone king. And NC State did a terrific job of doing that with him. So another guy really enjoyed his film. So what's your overall assessment on Garrett Bradbury? Yeah, I agree with with all your points there. Um, Bradbury is a guy who I really got to to know a little bit because I've I've met and spoken with, had him on my podcast. His offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford, and I he really kind of told me a lot about this kid. And uh, you know, you, you look at his work ethic and the things that he was doing from junior to senior year. Um, he was his preparation level. We hear a lot about Jonah Williams, and rightfully so. But Bradbury, man, he took things very seriously in terms of his diet, uh, his work ethic. He was in the coach's office oftentimes on Friday nights instead of going out. Just stuff like that as, as, as a scout you'd love to hear. I mean, he's a, he's a film junkie, um, really loves the game, and it just shows with his actions. So that as a backdrop is obviously a big part of the evaluation and gives me confidence in it as well because I think he's the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. Um, because of what he can be and he clearly is a better fit in zone because that's what he did most often but I think he's um, not as pigeonholed as you as as some people may think I think he has enough play strength and competitive toughness and physicality to to kind of be a scheme scheme independent guy although clearly there's a a best fit in zone so um, I think he you know can can play for for more teams than 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 most may think on the surface there but yeah and what he can do reaching guys in the zone scheme is special kind of reminds me of Alex Mack coming out of Cal in terms of what he can do in that zone scheme um you know you think of a team like San Francisco Minnesota I mean those are ideal fits for him um and you know not only what he can do reaching the first level but what he can do getting to the second level takes really good angles out there which accentuates his athletic ability so he's very he's a very efficient player on top of being a very good athlete and that's you know that's when he's starting to get into the special territory I think he has experience at guard and he has good tape at guard as well when he did play there so I think he is uh, position versatile as well although center is his best position in my opinion Um, but he has that option to go to either side I think you know in a pinch um yeah, I mean, he was the best center in college football last year. He was really good the previous year as well. So he has a lot of good tape. And, um, yeah, I mean, to me, he's a guy who has a chance to go in that top 20 range like Ryan Kelly did a few years ago from Alabama. I think he's that good. And uh, as a center, I mean, you got to be special to, to go that high. But I think he definitely warrants that. And I think he's going to be good right away, man. I mean, he's he's kind of an easy evaluation, in my opinion. He's just – uh he's he's a really good prospect and just kind of clean all around definitely and this next guy i want to talk about i think this might be your draft crush of the year because you made it a point (laughs) that you wanted to talk about this guy and that's lamont galliard the center from georgia i actually like this film and i just love how wide his body is he was a bully he has that wide body i think he's a bit more scheme diverse than what people are giving him credit for and he's another guy like Cody Ford that is just an absolute finisher. And whenever he drills guys into the turf, he's going to let the entire stadium know about it. So he really caught my eye. 
And there was a lot of games that I loved about him. So many <laughs> that I can't even remember to name just because there were so many that I really liked. But the East-West Shrine game was really where he caught my eye the most. Just because some guys like to coast in that game just because they don't want those other guys to get hurt. But he was absolutely finishing guys. And whenever his A-gaps were uncovered, he was looking to absolutely deplete anybody that was in his way. So that's how he caught my eye. But why do you like Galliard so much? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. Uh, I, I just, it was funny. I I, I had seen him um, because I, I've worked in the past uh, with the Joe Moore Award a little bit. And I was, you know, I talked to those guys often, the guys who, who grade for that for that award. And his name came up a lot with those guys over the course of the year. Um, so he was kind of on my radar a little bit. I didn't even really know his name. I just always heard the center from Georgia, man, you got to watch this guy. So I had five Georgia games on tape, you know, coaches tape. And he was the first prospect that I started watching before everybody else, just because I had the tape and I just kind of opened it up, watched LSU. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy, that tape is impressive. Um, the things that he did in that game, first of all, his competitive toughness. I mean, it jumps, jumps off the film, the way that he, you know, puts guys in the ground. He has really good natural leverage. You know, he's, just I think he just hit six three or so he's about 305 um so he he has that natural leverage that you love to see at center um and he really gets underneath guys pretty easily he has really strong hands and uh you know that desire to finish plays is is really special I mean defenders aren't safe on the field if they don't have their head on the swivel with him um that's you know like we mentioned earlier with Ford that's something we really like to see um, but he was really crafty, in my opinion, as well. The things that he did to to, to gain and, and regain leverage mid-play, he has a really good snatch um, and pass protection to kind of club down on on any sort of long arm from a, from a nose tackle. Um, I mean, he was doing things in the run game like a jump hook, which that's that's a pretty advanced technique to uh, reach a guy in his, in his own scheme um, as opposed to just doing kind of the standard reach block. He would really kind of just jump out of his stance and hook a guy with his hands. Um, that stuff, I mean, I see that from Max Unger. I see that from like really, you know, detailed type of NFL center. So that popped up to me. Um, and just the movement that he was able to create for being a so a quote-unquote undersized guy, I mean, I thought his play strength was really good, especially on double teams, the way he gets fits with his guards, you know, getting hip-to-hip, shoulder-to-shoulder driving guys off the ball, not letting any space between his guard and himself. Those are things that you see on the NFL level time and time again from successful centers. So um, he has a, he has really quick hands on top of being strong. Um, the thing is, you know, his head can dip a little bit. He can get a little overaggressive, out of control sometimes. Those are things that are a little bit concerning. Um, he tends to not always move his feet into blocks and pass protection and just try to lunge a little bit. So those, those things popped up for me. But I mean, when you're talking about a, you know, potentially a day three type of guy, I mean, I think his value anywhere in day three is, is outstanding. So I like him. I think teams should start looking at him in like round four. Cause I mean, I really think that he could start probably in year two and maybe even in year one, he, he, he reminded me, though, because he wears number 53. I think that was part of it, but also because of his style and his demeanor and the way he uses his hands, how violent he is of Marquise Pouncey. 
I think he's kind of a Marquise Pouncey light because that's the way Pouncey plays, man. I mean, Pouncey is physical. He has really powerful hands, and his nastiness is really kind of, you know, what is so endearing about his game. So he kind of reminded me of him a little bit. But, yeah, man, I mean, I think, uh, you know, he's a better fit in a gap scheme just because of what he could do generating vertical displacement of defenders. But I also saw him make a lot of good reach blocks and zones, so I think he could do that as well. He's just, he's a guy I would love to see. I bet you, you know, I think about like Mike Munchak, you know, watching his film, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he he, he likes this kid. Um, you know, I, I don't have any uh, sources on that, but just the pouncy thing and way he, the way he plays, I think is, is intriguing there. But yeah, man, I mean, he's, he's a guy, he's a day three gem in my opinion. So I really like his, his tape and, and the way he plays the game. That's definitely your guy. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> yeah, he gets me excited. <laughs> That's good, man. And we just ran through those six guys really quickly. And, you know, when we start talking ball, things can get a bit long-winded. But I can sit here and talk offensive line with you all day just because it's a position that a lot of people don't like to pay attention to a lot, especially when looking at the TV copy of games because fans follow the ball. And they don't really notice the offensive line until things go bad and it's a position that doesn't get the credit that they deserve but i want to open the floor up to you again if you have anything that you want to plug or have any upcoming projects you can do that now yeah i'll just plug my podcast the trench warfare podcast you know we're both with blue wire and um you know i I just i'm having a lot of fun with that i have I had to take a little bit of a break the last couple of weeks, but I have a lot of uh, uh, really good guests coming up, players, coaches, analysts. I'd love to get you on as well. So that's that's something that, uh, you know, over the course of the summer, we're really going to dig deeper into the line of scrimmage and offensive and defensive line play. So that's that's probably the only thing for now. I have something else coming up that I, I can't announce just yet, but um, just stay tuned for that on, on my Twitter feed, everybody. And uh yeah, I just I really appreciate you having me on. And anytime I get to talk offensive line, it's a good time. So I, I appreciate uh, you having me on. No problem. Anytime. And we definitely will be on the lookout for that announcement. Brandon, once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And this is the Draft Board Podcast with a special guest, Brandon Thorne and offensive line play. People, just make sure you pay attention to it just because it is a very important position. And don't just pay attention to it until it is a dire need. But Brandon, I want to thank you once again for coming on. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. Wow, what a terrific discussion right there with Brandon Thorne. And I have a lot of respect for Brandon just because he took a leap of faith out there. And what I mean by that is everyone doesn't like to discuss and talk about the offensive line just because it's not the sexy position or the guy that always has the ball in his hands, but it's a complete unit, and it's the one unit on the field that is operating together on every single play. And that's something that Brandon alluded to. And then when we got into our discussion about Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, Garrett Bradbury, and then Lamont Galliard, all of those guys have certain assets or strengths and weaknesses that they bring to the table. But I'm really interested, and I will be paying close attention to all six of these guys and where they are drafted. But I'm just so ecstatic that the draft is finally here. And it's not just about the offensive line. There's a lot of players that I will be keying in on. Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Montez Sweat. The list goes on and on. And I'm just glad that we're finally here. 
There's so many rumors and so many things on the surface out there, and we're finally going to get answers this week. But stay tuned in to the Draft Board Podcast. I'm going to have so much coverage this week and bring so many different guests on and have so many different angles brought to you guys. So stay with me. I'm going to have shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so be sure to be on the lookout for all of those. But once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. This is the Drive Board Podcast, and be sure to tune in for the latter half of the week. And once again, happy draft week.